everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I am a mom, a kindergarten teacher, freelance writer and blogger. I'm a sometimes TV guest and a podcast host. You are listening to episode 37 of the show. Today in my favorite things, I'm going to be talking about three books with a theme, which is wife. Wife is in the title of all three books that I happen to read lately. In the lifestyle segment, I'm going to be talking about eyebrow treatments. I've had microblading done and more recently the newer um, hybrid brows service. And so I'm going to talk about my experiences with both of those. And then my very special guest today is Amber MacArthur, also very well known as Amber Mac. She is a tech expert that I'm sure you have seen all over the place. She's here to answer some questions about technology and parenting and also, um, also some other topics as well. And to talk about a really neat online competition she's running right now called Her Turn. So we will get to that later on in the show. Kicking things off, three books that have wife in the title. So the first one is called My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing. This one fits into my uh, usual suspense thriller kind of category. In the information from the publisher, they say Dexter meets Mr. and Mrs. Smith in this wildly compulsive debut thriller about a couple whose 15-year marriage has finally gotten too interesting. And so it is one of those stories where you've got, you know, the different points of view, the husband and wife, and you're trying to figure out what's going on and is somebody actually capable of murder? So it's, uh, it's an interesting suspenseful one. The next one also suspenseful is called Dear Wife. And in this one, there is a woman on the run leaving, um, leaving an abusive husband. And then, so you hear about her name's Beth, but then it also goes back and forth with this other story where Sabine Hardison is missing. And so you start to think, okay, well, Beth must be Sabine because she's on the run and this woman's missing, but wait a sec. And the pieces don't always fit together. And you're trying to figure it out. Like, are they the same person? Are we talking about two different people? Is there a connection here? And, um, it's a really interesting one. It took me a really long time to start to suspect what was actually going on, which is always a good thing when you're reading a suspense novel. So I'd recommend that one, Dear Wife. And then the third wife book is very different. It's nonfiction. Um, it is called A Good Wife, Escaping the Life I Never Chose, a memoir by Samra Zafar. And she is um, a Pakistani-Canadian woman. When she was 17, she was forced into an arranged marriage, left behind her family in Pakistan to move to Canada. And her new husband and family had made a lot of promises, but that's not exactly what happened when she got here. So um, there was certainly, you know, different kinds of abuse there going on. She tried to escape. And, you know, what I love about it is the honesty of it, because in a movie, you know, you plan the big escape and you go and then you're gone and all is good. But there was kind of a, a two steps forward, one step back sort of thing with her trying to leave her marriage. And I mean, if you read anything about Sam Rizafar, you will know that this does have a happy ending. And she has really become a successful businesswoman in Canada. And especially now with this book, she's doing a lot of speaking and traveling and things like that to share her story. She's someone I would love to get on the podcast at some point. So Sam Rizafar, if you are listening... I would love to have you on This Mom Loves, but I would definitely read that one, um, A Good Wife by Samra Zafar. Before we get into the lifestyle segment of the show, I just want to let you know where you can find me because I always love to hear from listeners on social media. I am on Facebook and Twitter at This Mom Loves and on Instagram at 
hate this mom loves, please, you know, send me a message. Let me know that you listened to this episode. I always like feedback too about you should have this person on the show, or have you thought about a segment on this? Or I know that you purchased such and such. Can you do a review about it on there? Because I really do want to tailor the the content to what the listeners want to hear. So don't hesitate to do that. You can also find me on my site, thismomloves.ca and send me an email, katewin77 at yahoo.ca as well. Moving on now to eyebrows. So I will totally admit that you have to be in a certain financial position to be able to spend money on your brows. And I am thankful that I'm in that position. I'm assuming a lot of my listeners may have some discretionary income that they could use for this sort of thing. Um, And if not, I totally understand. But a lot of people have asked me about getting my eyebrows done. So, and you know, the other thing I I know too is that looks don't matter that much. And, you know, what kind of example are we setting for our girls and that sort of thing? But eyebrows were something that to me kind of always bothered me. And you know how when we were younger, if you're in my generation at all, you were supposed to pluck and tweeze and wax and all that sort of thing. And we ended up with not a lot of thick brows and mine were kind of wispy and everything to start with anyway. So I had heard a lot about getting microblading done, which is considered um, a permanent beauty treatment because it's kind of like tattooing. So I thought that that might be a good option for me. And I know that when I go on TV or have photos done, things like that, it seemed like my my eyebrows sort of disappeared. So I thought that that permanent step I would be willing to take to do something so that I didn't have to always pencil in my eyebrows, try to make them darker, that sort of thing. Now, of course, now that I've discovered makeup apps, I can darken my eyebrows in a photo without needing to do this. But uh, in real life, I like to have it done anyway. So I went to Permanent Beauty by Kalina. So it's run by Kalina Cabral and it's in Peterborough. And what I did first was I went to her Instagram account. I started following and watching, looking at the before and afters, soaking up as much information as I could to make that decision. Um, and then I made the appointment. And so this was, I first had the the microblading done three years ago now. And then what happened was I went in for my appointment. I was a little nervous that it was going to hurt. So I took a couple extra strength Tylenol and that's not, you know, doctor recommended or anything, but I wanted to do that just, just in case it hurt. Um, you're not allowed to use blood thinners or alcohol or anything before these procedures, but I thought a couple of Tylenol would be okay. Filled out some paperwork. Um, Helena asked me what I wanted. And so I just told her that I wanted my brows to follow my natural shape, which I was fine with, but that I wanted them to be darker and fuller. She took some before photos and then the very first time she took measurements, penciled in the outline of the shape that she recommended, which I really loved. She cleaned up any hairs that were on the outside of that and then she got started with the procedure. So she did numb my skin before beginning and then started the microblading process. So for that, she uses a micro machine, needle and organic pigments. And something interesting to note too is that this also cancels tattooing in terms of giving blood because of the needles that are used. So, you know, if you go to donate blood and they ask if you've had any tattooing, I think now they finally say, have you had any tattooing or microblading? Because, um, because it's kind of the same thing. So I wasn't able to do that for a while. And then what she did at the time to do the microblading is a feather stroke technique. So what she does is she's kind of tattooing on what looks like individual brow hairs, but it creates that 3D effect on your on your eyebrow. And it's not just like a flat color tattoo. There's actual texture there for what she, um, what she puts on. Now, as far as pain goes to me after being numbed, it kind of felt like somebody scratching at my eyebrows with a toothpick. Like I could feel something. It kind of always made me want to sneeze. 
to tell you the truth. And I could tell exactly where she was working. It wasn't like, you know, having an epidural where I couldn't feel anything at all. Um, but I wouldn't say it really hurt. Like I didn't get tears in my eyes or anything like that. It was just kind of being scratched at. Now I had heard in advance not to be afraid to go too dark because they do lighten up after a few weeks. So I went a bit darker than I would have wanted for the end results that first time. Um, cause she asks what color you want. And then the whole thing took less than an hour. I do have photos. I did a blog post about it. So I'll share a link to that in the show notes for today. This slash podcasts, and it's episode 37. So you can kind of see the before and after of that. But I was very pleased that it kind of gave me defined, <laughs> defined brows. And the funny thing is when I was there for that first appointment, we were all done and Kalina turned to me and said, you know, how you look like Prince William's wife. So if you know anything about how I follow the Duchess of Cambridge, you will know that that um, would have made me very happy. And then you get a little bag of cream. So you have some antibiotic ointment cream to put on for the first day and then just some aftercare, kind of a moisturizing ointment for the next seven to 10 days. So that's sort of what you do afterwards. And then what I did was I went back. So I went in the summer for the first time and then went back in December for a touch up. So after your first appointment, you go back in a few months and then you can get your eyebrows darkened or lightened or enhance the shape or, or whatever you want to do there. Um, I, if I remember correctly at the time, around $400, I think to get it done initially, and then a lot less just to go back for your follow-up and your touch-up. But if you are in the Peterborough area or anywhere close, I would certainly recommend Kalina Permanent Beauty. She does a lot of training for people. I mean, Canada and in the U.S. So she's um, highly renowned for her work and has a really high waiting list too. She does have some associates who work with her who she has trained. So you don't have to actually have Kalina. You could have somebody else. But um, but no, I really have been happy with, with her studio. And then I went back again another year later for a touch-up. And then when it was time for my 2019 touch-up, I had actually heard about a new treatment called Hybrid Brows. So it's a little bit of an upgrade. So hybrid is combining two different things, the microblading that I described before and a different um, service called micropigmentation. So since my brows had kept their shape for pretty much the most part, it was just the color that had faded and they kind of lost their, their oomph. So I thought it would be worth, worth upgrading. So I talked to Kalina about it and she started with the microblading again. So put the numbing, numbing cream on and did sort of those feather strokes very bearable to me, though again, made me sneeze. And then she moved on to the second part, the micropigmentation. So the way she explains that is it's a pixelation of pigment into the brows. So this shading gives depth and dimension and adds to the realistic look, and it makes the, the whole thing last longer than when you just get microblading. So the way I would kind of describe it in layman's terms is when she does the microblading, it's sort of those strokes, the 3D effect, but then the micropigmentation, it's almost like darkening like a more general darkening of the whole area um, to give more color and definition to that whole area of the brow. So for that, again, I was in the office less than an hour and we took lots of photos too and very impressed, always very professional, both Kalina and, and the rest of her staff. And I think it's very cute when she admires her own work. I mean, I wrote down in my blog post that she said, wow, these brows look so amazing. <laughs> so that's good when you're proud of what you do. Um, I have also actually had eyelash extensions done at permanent beauty in the past too. I've only had that done once because that's not something that I, I was able to maintain, but another, a cool service if lashes are something that you're interested in. And again, I'll have before and afters of the hybrid treatment in another link on the, 
the show notes for this episode too. So if you're interested at all in eyebrows, microblading or hybrid treatment of microblading and micropigmentation, definitely go to that and find out more information. You can also look up Permanent Beauty by Kalina if you're specifically interested in getting it done in the Peterborough area. And as always, I love questions. I'm very happy to answer questions. If there's anything you want to know, you can use those social media handles that I mentioned earlier in the show. Send me an email, comment on the podcast, show notes, anything you want. And I'm happy to help with anything that you want to ask. One thing I will throw out there again, though, is go darker than you want to end up because when you walk out, you might think, oh my God, this is so dark. And I know I had a a friend on social media who I watched go through the process over the summer too. And she thought like, oh my God, what am I doing with these crazy dark eyebrows? But once things kind of flake a little bit and settle and whatever, for the first few days, you think, what is going on here with my eyebrows? But I mean, anybody I've known who has had it done, everything settles. Everything is fine after that whole um, settling in period, but they are lighter than when you leave the leave the um, studio or salon. So you're definitely going to want to um, go darker to start with. And then within a week or two, they'll be at that lighter color that you're going to end up with. And they will just keep getting lighter. I had it done a few months ago and already they've lightened a bit, which I understand and expected. But for me, totally worth it because brows were a thing. And I think we all have our things, like whether it's your skin or your weight or your hair or whatever it is that you, you need something to boost it and make you feel more confident. So I totally support that and I am happy to answer any questions. My special guest this week is a tech expert, a speaker, an author, a host, and she's also a mom. Amber MacArthur, or perhaps more commonly known as Amber Mac, is here. Welcome, Amber. Thanks for having me. You are originally from Prince Edward Island, and your bio says you attended a two-room country schoolhouse and shared a party telephone line with neighboring houses, and now you're recognized internationally as an innovation and technology leader. So well done. And how would you describe your career or job titles at this point in time? I know I hit on a few in the intro. Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of us who are entrepreneurial have a difficult time deciding on what exactly our job title is because you really do wear so many different hats. If I had to pick one hat right now, I would say that uh, I was essentially a content creator and I realize that's not a sexy title, but (laughs) most of what I do is creating content. That may be content for radio. It might be content for television. It might be content for events on stage. So really it is creating content and we've been able to build a business behind this in terms of working with some really wonderful partners to create content to distribute mostly through digital platforms. That is a a great way to sum up a whole bunch of different things that you do. I would like to jump right into the parenting side of things to start off. You have a 10-year-old son, and I'm curious to know with all of your tech expertise and background, what sort of screen time rules and access to technology you've enforced in your home as your son has grown? I think one of the interesting things watching our son grow up is uh, that we have been a little bit slack with having screen time rules, but I think where we have really stepped up is offering him access to doing other activities. So whether that's supporting his interest in art or music or taking piano lessons or being on the swim team, we have really encouraged him to do activities outside of technology. So at the end of the day, it feels in many ways like he doesn't have that much time to spend on screen 
screens. He's been able to really uh, bypass uh, any type of interest in video games, at least over the past year. So I think it really is more about not necessarily just having screen time rules, but encouraging your child perhaps to find interests outside of screen time and, and also discouraging passive screen time. So while he may be watching YouTube videos, he watches them because he's watching art tutorials and drawing. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, not all screen time is created equal. Yes. And I know when you and I share that belief, I mean, examples with my girls, like Eva loves to look up recipes on, on the internet all the time. And I mean, if we saw a child sitting with a bunch of cookbooks, flipping through them, you'd think, isn't that lovely? But then you see a child <laughs> on a device and, you know, or my daughter Olivia is 13 and she and her cousin have been writing a fantasy novel together through a shared Google doc. And last time I asked, they were past 70,000 words. So like, that's a real wow. book. But again, if you saw, you know, a child scribbling in a notebook, you'd think that was wonderful, but sitting at a laptop, you kind of worry. But again, it all has to do with what they're doing with those screens. So we're, we're both on the same page there. Absolutely. I, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head. It is, uh, it is about creativity versus consumption. And I think a lot of parents have a hard time differentiating between the two. And so we tend to want to set these screen time rules of saying, okay, an hour a day, maybe only on weekends, but we're really not thinking about what exactly the child is doing. And yes, that takes more effort. It's easier to say 60 minutes, do whatever you want. But what I would encourage parents to do is to say, okay, you know what? You can use your screen, but what are you doing? Are there ways that you can be creative? Are there ways that you can collaborate in terms of whether it's writing a novel with your friends or cousins or creating some type of art? And so it is that extra step, I think, that a lot of parents need to take. And, and let's face it, it's not easy. And, and all kids have a different relationship with technology. I want to give a plug now for your book, Outsmarting Your Kids Online, a Safety Handbook for Overwhelmed Parents. So that came out in 2016, and it was coincidentally the first ebook that I loaded onto Kindle. And it's packed with important information for parents. I especially thought the sections on the different social media platforms and how to find your child's accounts or locate information they may have posted or about them, really, really helpful. And there was a lot there that I had never heard before. So well done with the book. Thank you. And on that note, do you think it's important that parents insist on having kids' profile information and their passwords right from the get-go? You know, like if you want to be on Instagram, I have access, you've got to give me everything. Or do you think that's something that you can wait and ask for or investigate if you see signs of, of trouble? I think it really has to start at a young age in terms of encouraging your child to be more open about what they're doing online and also the sharing of passwords, especially if they're really young. So I think that has to start when the child starts using technology. And what are some of the warning signs that your child might be having some trouble online and you might need to, to step in or, or help out? Well, I, I think one of the things that you'll see with children a lot when they're starting to use technology is just their relationship with whatever they are doing. So for example, my son was playing Fortnite last summer and he had just started playing with his friends and I noticed he was very stressed out and anxious and he seemed very angry all of the time. And so I tried to get him to connect with the relationship that he had with that game and I was constantly bugging him and saying, hey, Connor, how do you feel after you play a game and what's bothering you? And then eventually he just kind of realized on his own that that perhaps this wasn't the right game for him because he just does not have the temperament to be in that highly competitive state. So I think that, uh, again, it's really encouraging kids to connect their feelings with what they're doing with technology. And then as parents, we'll see that there is an issue potentially if we see that our child is in a state of anxiety or stress and something's bothering them. And it's really important to pick up on those cues. And that's why I think having arbitrary timelines as far as how much time they spend online is not that helpful. Again, 
again, it's more about what they're doing and how they're feeling while they're doing it. What would you say are the most popular social media platforms for for tweens and teens, that sort of age group right now, and what should parents know about them? So for example, my girls are 11 and 13. They've been interested on and off in Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok as well. And it seems like Twitter and Facebook are sort of things of the past for their peers. But what do you think is in right now for that age group and what should parents know? I, I think you're exactly right in the sense that I think it changes constantly for tweens and teens. And right now we're seeing a growing number of them really gravitate towards platforms such as TikTok and Instagram. And let's not forget, I think they're gravitating towards those because they are much more creative and visually interesting than mm. those other platforms. I mean, for a tween or teen on Twitter, it's just a bunch of text people angry at each other about politics. <laughs> so I, I think that they're going that way because they want to create videos, they want to have fun, they're entertaining, they like to laugh. So I think we should give them some credit for recognizing that the platforms they're interested in are highly creative. How they decide to use those platforms is really a question that a lot of parents need to ask. So are they just watching inappropriate content on TikTok or are they having fun lip syncing to their favorite songs and sharing them with their friends? So I think that's the question that needs to be asked. So I think for parents, it's most important right now to focus on the apps that are really the most trendy right now. And that would be, for the most part, TikTok for tweens and teens. In your book, you also talk about online etiquette. And of course, etiquette in the real world is important and online too. So what are some of the guidelines we should be teaching our kids and even following ourselves when it comes to etiquette online? I think this is also a tough one, and you'll kind of notice a uh, trend to many of my answers, which really go back to, wow, this is a lot more work than we ever thought as parents. Yes. <laughs> because when it comes to online etiquette, it, it's all of a sudden not just saying, okay, you know, it's spend however you want, however long you want on uh, your technology, but instead saying, oh, how did you reply to that person? Did you like that person's uh, photo that they posted? Did you comment on it? Are you being kind as far as those online interactions? And so I think the etiquette piece of it is absolutely critical, especially as we get into the tween and teen years. And that means understanding, I explain to our son all the time, hey, when someone texts you, you, you need to text them back. Or you need to tell them that, hey, I don't always have my phone on you. I can't reply to you, just so you set expectations. So I think it's important to understand that uh, oftentimes there's someone on the other end that's feeling something totally disconnected to your intentions. And really, at the end of the day, I think that goes goes down to being empathetic about people who are online and people who you're following and connecting with. So I think teaching your kid how to behave properly online is another piece of the puzzle that is challenging for a lot of parents because it means you have to spend time also following what they're doing. So I encourage all parents to be friends with their kids on Instagram, to download TikTok, get a TikTok account, see what their kids are doing, see what the platform's all about. You know, there's a lot of good, funny things that happen on these different social media networks. What is your favorite social media platform right now and why? I know you're a very busy entrepreneur and parent, so I'm just kind of curious to know what you like the best and what you use it for. I probably use Twitter more than anything, which I think seems a little uh, <laughs> counterintuitive because it's not the friendliest of places. But I think the social network that you, you're you on and that you tend to gravitate towards is whatever you want it to be. I mean, many people want to sit and complain about social media. Well, just don't follow those people who have a negative impact on your day. So I have a really nice Twitter community who's constantly sending messages that are, for the most part, entirely friendly. You know, I follow some people who are into spirituality and they 
mm-hmm. are constantly saying, you know, have a blessed day and, <laughs> and, and sending positive reminders. So it really becomes the community that you build. And we are in control of that. And that's what I think parents forget sometimes is that they just hear all these stories, but it doesn't have to be that way. And are there any new tips or tricks on social media platforms that you find valuable that maybe individuals listening or if they're business people themselves might be able to take advantage of? I would say really there are uh, two things I would remind parents of first is that one, Facebook and Instagram are are taking action to ensure that there's less uh, weight put in terms of likes on photos. So they're removing some likes from Instagram to test out to make sure that doesn't have uh, a negative impact on how kids perceive what content they're sharing. So I think that's a good move in the right direction. I think also if I think about opportunities for parents who are entrepreneurs, there is an incredible opportunity right now on LinkedIn uh, in the sense that if you're uh, an entrepreneur or a business leader or a professional, using LinkedIn to create content to establish yourself as a thought leader is uh, a really smart idea for anyone, no matter how secure you think your job might be. I actually like that new Instagram feature without showing the number of likes that other people have received. I mean, I'm an adult and I should know better and it shouldn't even bother me, but you know, I find when I'm scrolling through, I kind of like that there's not that comparison aspect of, of who got how many likes. So I think yeah. that's a good move. I think it really is a good move. And and we, I think in some ways need to give Facebook and Instagram some credit for moving in that direction. And simultaneously remember that some of the new apps that pop up that tweens and teens are attracted to may not be apps that are created in North America, like TikTok, for example, is an app that uh, is uh, has originated out of China. And they won't necessarily adhere to those same type of guidelines in terms of safety for children. So it is a global marketplace right now as far as the apps and content that our kids are viewing. So I think we also have to remember that there are going to be new challenges ahead. You are also an expert on all the latest high-tech gadgets out there. So I'm curious to know if there are any new products that might make parenting or just life in general any easier or more enjoyable. I mean, I know AI is a big thing that that you cover right now, but anything that, uh, that might be helpful for the listeners. Well, I, I think that uh, the conversation around the future of work is interesting for both parents as well as uh, for any type of professionals who are listening. And and I think it's important not just for yourself, but also for that next generation. Understanding what jobs are going to be available for your kids is something that all of us uh, do, of course, care about. So I think when it comes to the future of work, there are a lot of good conversations to be had. Uh, I just did a podcast series called The AI Effect, which is available for free online which talks a lot about the future of how artificial intelligence is impacting different industries. And that's a good place to start as far as listening to how this new technology is going to affect our lives. And you have recently launched something exciting, Her Turn, Canada's online business competition series for women. What can you tell us about that? I'm so glad that you brought that up because this has really been a project that we have talked a lot about at Amber Mac Media in terms of doing something for women-owned businesses. So I've been thinking uh, at length about this conversation because although I do report on mostly what's happening in the technology space, it has become very clear to me over the past few years that uh, technology startups are just at a different level than perhaps the average small business owner. So a technology startup may need to get, you know, 10, 
20, $100 million in investment money. And that's all exciting and sexy and interesting. But you know what is even more exciting is hearing about moms and uh, women who are building businesses from the ground up, who are happy if even $100,000 comes into their household per year, because that allows them to do the things that they love. And so the reason we launched Her Turn is to provide an opportunity for those people, for those women to be able to be profiled through the series, which runs until December 2nd, but also have a chance to be one of our three finalists and eventually a winner who will be walking away with $20,000 in cash and prizes, thanks to uh, a good roster of partners. So it really isn't just about saying, oh, women are amazing, rah, rah, let's get together at a conference, but instead saying, hey, we're going to give you tools and advice throughout this series that are going to help you. We're going to give women who apply the attention on social media that they deserve, and we're going to be a helping hand along the way. So if anyone wants to check it out, they can go to herturn.ca or follow along on social media with the hashtag herturnca. That is so fantastic. Okay. The final question I always ask my guests is if they have a this mom loves or a favorite thing to share. Okay. So uh, I was thinking about that question when you sent it through. And uh, I will say that if I had to pick one thing that I love, it's uh, healthy snack food. <laughs> so mm. if uh, I had an opportunity in the future to uh, start a new business, it would probably be in the category of healthy mobile snacks to take on planes and cars for kids that are low sugar, that are filled with nutrition. And so I am always really excited about testing out uh, new snack food from smart sweets to good fat bars. And uh, uh, that is my real passion is having uh, food on the go. Good for you. Okay. I will have links for all of the places you can find Amber Mack in the show notes for this episode at thismumloves.ca slash podcast. And it's episode 37. You're also going to want to sign up for Amber's weekly newsletter as well. I don't sign up for a lot of newsletters, but I get this one. I open it, I read it, and I love it. So make sure to do that. Thank you so much, Amber Mack, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And we have reached the end of this episode of This Mom Loves. Thank you, as always, to my fantastic podcast editor, Lucas Wojcicki. And thank you to all of you for listening. I know I say it every time, but I really, really mean it. If you do enjoy the show, I would love for you to spread the word. You can rate or review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. It's really helpful, especially on Apple Podcasts, to just click on, uh, you know, five stars or however many stars you want to give the show. You don't even have to type out a review if you don't want to. Even just that quick rating helps. You could do just a one-line review to help listeners or potential listeners see why they might want to listen to the show. And just to tell your friends, share it on social media, tell somebody at work, anybody who you think might be interested in podcasts in general or specifically in this show, it's always great when you can help to spread the word. So thank you for that. Until next time. <laughs>